0: You found Ecclesiastes 1, say amen. All righty. Among the uh, many Nazi concentration camps was one that was situated uh, near the Bug River, which actually separates Poland and Russia. Uh, Many of you, I'm sure, have heard the name Sobobor. It was known as Sobobor, and really, it was not unlike any of the other uh, concentration camps uh, in that torture and death awaited every man and every woman uh, and really virtually every child uh, that ever ever went there. Um, if anybody ever tells you... Um, that that period of time, that the Holocaust was not real, uh, just feel free to call them a liar, um, because that's exactly what they are. It was real, and it did happen. And um, this was one of the places. This is one of the uh, the areas where uh, all of that took place in 19 <coughs> in 1943. Uh, October the 14th to be exact. Um, Some of the Jewish slave laborers in Sobobor, they surprised their captors by using their shovels and their pickaxes as weapons in a well-planned attack. Some of the prisoners cut the electricity... Uh, to the fence, and others used captured pistols and rifles to shoot their way past the German Guards. Hundreds of others stormed the barbed wire uh, fence and uh, made their way through the fence and made their way through the minefields to a nearby forest. Um... 700, of the 700 escapees, only 300 actually made it to the forest. And of the 300 that made it to the forest, only 100 are known to have survived. The others were hunted down and executed by the Germans. Of the survivors was a man named Thomas Blatt. He was known in in Poland as Toivy. Toivy. He was 15 years old. (coughs) Mercy, excuse me. (coughs) 15 years old when he and his family were herded into Sobobor. And because he was young and because he was healthy, um, he was kept alive and was used as slave labor. Unfortunately, his parents died in the gas chamber. But during that October 14th escape, Toivey attempted to crawl through a small hole in the the barbed wire fence and, and he was trampled by the other prisoners. Though he was one of the last to do so, Um, he was able to make it out of soberbore. And for three days and three nights, him and two of his close companions stumbled through the the dense forest. In the daytime, um, they would hide beneath the brush and and the branches, and then at night, um, they would do their best to find their way through the trees in the forest. And finally, on the fourth night, Toivy and his friends spotted a building. And they were filled with joy and obviously much anticipation as they made their way toward that building. And the closer they got, the more familiar things began to look. And what they thought was a building. It was not a building at all, it was a tower, as in one of the towers that belonged to the Sobobor concentration camp. Toivy and his friends had literally made one giant circle through the woods, and it ended up right back where they started. Filled with fright and frustration, the three of them quietly made their way back into the safety and security of the forest. And I share that story with you tonight to ask you simply this, if you've ever felt like that, if you've ever felt like you're just going around in circles, you with me? I mean, you use a lot of time. And you use a lot of resources, and you use a lot of energy, but it just seems like you never get anywhere. It, it, it's like you're running a marathon on a treadmill. My wife has been walking religiously on a treadmill every virtually every morning for how many years, Kate? forever can i ask you this have you ever gotten anywhere other than the bedroom no i mean i'm telling you i I bet that girl has walked thousands of miles on not just a treadmill at our house but treadmills in hotels all over this country i mean that's a requirement it doesn't have to have a bed or anything but it has to have a treadmill and she has walked and walked and walked and walked, and she hadn't gotten anywhere. Anybody here, have you ever had a hamster, or do you have a hamster? Anybody have a hamster? You've seen those things in a, in a pet store? I mean, those portly little dudes, they can get on that, that circle thing, and they can literally run Forever. And they're, just, I mean, they're, they're trucking too. And they're making that thing go around and around and around and around. And they're running and they're running and they're running and they're running. And, they're running and be- bless their portly little bodies. <laughs> At the end of the day, they're still in the cage. You ever felt life was like that? It's Like, mercy. I do and I do and I do and I do And I just don't seem to be getting anywhere. A lot of people who live life, and I'll use this phrase, and then I'll explain it in a moment. Many people who live life under the sun feel like that. And that phrase, if you were here last Wednesday night, I explained a number of the phrases that we will read over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon used them a lot, and this one particular phrase he, he used about 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we will obviously read it uh, every single one of those times. And so I, I just want to remind you tonight that we're here last week and, and, and explain to you tonight for those that are here for the first time what Solomon meant when he used the phrase... Under the sun. Here's what he means. He means a life that is lived from a purely human perspective. Okay? Life that is lived from a purely human perspective. Meaning that neither God nor His Word are figured into the equation of life at all. In any form. People who live their lives without the Lord (coughs) often feel like life is just one boring, unbroken circle. But it's not just lost people who can fall into that trap. People who know the Lord which would be the majority, I would suspect, of us here tonight. If we're not careful, we can fall into the trap of living our lives under the sun. If Solomon were living today or living in the New Testament, we would have have called him a believer. But yet, as he nears the end of his life, In spite of all of his wealth, and in spite of all the women that he had in his life, and in spite of of all of the world that was before him, he comes to the end of his life unable to find any satisfaction in the life that he was living because he was living it under the sun. Here's what needs to be remembered about Solomon at this point in his life. Again, we would characterize him as a believer, but he had drifted away from the Lord. Day by day, inch by inch, worldly entanglement by worldly entanglement, Solomon began to drift away from God. And as I've already noted, he uses that phrase, under the sun, to define his outlook on life from a purely human perspective as opposed to an eternal one. Now later in in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're going to learn that God, uh, Solomon says, uh, the the word that the the Bible uses is the word world. World. If you'll study that that word in the Hebrew, it means vanishing point or eternity. And here's what Solomon tells us. God has put eternity in our hearts. And so it's not the way, living life under the sun is not the way that God wants life to be lived. And here's what we're going to learn tonight. A life that is lived under the sun is a life of frustration or futility that ultimately ultimately leads to a life of frustration. In verses 4 through 7, we've already looked at the first three, but in verses 4 through 7, Solomon shows the uncommon God-given wisdom that he possessed because what we're going to read here is presented from the viewpoint of a philosopher and an astronomer and a meteorologist and a hydrologist. So let's get into it. Verse 4. Solomon said, One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh. But the earth abideth forever. The more we get into the book of Ecclesiastes, the more we're going to discover that that death is a subject that that seems to have invaded Solomon's mind quite often at this stage in his life. And really it's no wonder, because as one writer said, when life is built without a spiritual foundation, death is a killer on the prowl, peering in the window. And if you think about it, how else can a person look at life but as one boring, unbroken circle of futility when they have, listen, when they have nothing to look forward to from day to day other than getting up and going to work and coming home and watching the news and going to bed and waking up and going to work and coming home and watching the news and going to bed and getting up and going to work. And that's how they live their life. They have nothing of God in their life. They have nothing of, 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 of heaven, of eternity, uh, anywhere in their thinking or any, anywhere in their doing. And how else can they look at life but one boring, unbroken circle? Look at verse 5. The sun also ri- ariseth, And the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. So again, Solomon's looking at life. Verse 4, he said, people come, people go. And people come, and people go. And then he goes to verse 5, and he says, the sun comes up, and the sun comes down. And the sun goes up, and the sun goes down. He now moves from the circle of birth and death on earth to the circle of day and night in the heavens. And again, he says, here's my philosophy of life right now. As I live it under the sun with no heavenly perspective at all, eh, sun comes up, sun goes down. That's just about as exciting as Solomon's life was at this point. Now you think about that, and you have to say to yourself, how sad. But again, that's what happens when you get away from the Lord. When a person has spent their entire day focusing on what is under the sun, and not what is beyond the sun, and they come to the setting of the sun, they cannot help but feel terribly, terribly empty. And what is sad is that many of them at the end of the day will go home and try to fill that emptiness with things like alcohol, or a drug of some kind, or an illicit, illicit internet activity or whatever. And they do that simply trying to fill the void that is in their heart because there's nothing of spiritual value. Are you tracking with me tonight? But can I show you real quick what life looks like, the kind of outlook that results from a life that is lived focused on what is above the sun? These are the words of Jeremiah, found in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Do you see the difference? When when our focus is under the sun, here on earth, Life is a rut. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. The sun comes up and the sun goes down. But when we are reminded that this world is not our home and that we are just passing through, and that we have something to look forward to above the sun. That when we get up in the morning and the sun is risen, it reminds us not of a, another futile day of work. No, no, it reminds us of the faithfulness of God and the mercies of God that are new every morning. So when you get up in the morning, be reminded. God's mercy and God's faithfulness. And see if that doesn't make a difference how you leave the house in the morning and go to your job. Rather than just ah, pff, another day, another dollar. No, 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 no. When you get up in the morning, look beyond the, the sun. Look, look above the sun. And be reminded. Of the faithfulness of God. Look at verse 6. The wind goeth toward the south and turneth about unto the north. I read that today and I thought about when I get up in the morning. I don't have my phone, but I get up in the morning and I look at my weather app. And it says the wind is out of the south. So I think, great. I'll ride to the south, I'll ride out to the south, and I'll, against the wind, I'll ride back in with the wind. Yes. But here's what happens to me, inevitably, you can ask Brother Mike uh, uh, Collins about this, it happens to me almost every time. The wind goeth toward the south and turneth about unto the north, and I'll be switched if I'm not riding out and in against the wind. Now, I think that's a little out of context for that verse, but anyway. <laughs> it whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to its circuits. circuits. What's he saying? Just more of the same. <laughs> People. People are born, people die, people come, people go. The sun comes up, the sun goes down, the sun comes up, the sun goes down. The wind blows this way, the wind blows that way, and it blows this way again, and it blows that way again. What's he saying? That was Solomon trying to say in these verses that life is just one boring, unbroken circle of futility. Man, he's approaching it from different angles. We're born, we live, we die. And sooner or later, everything in life from relationships to riches will simply vanish in the wind. It's futile. Life's worthless. And I think it's interesting that to Solomon, the wind represented nothing but hopeless desperation. But I was reminded today of the words of Jesus as he was speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And he too spoke about the wind. But when Jesus spoke about the wind, it represented endless salvation. Look at it, John chapter 3 and verse 8. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh. And whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born, that is saved of the Spirit. And so again, as as some people look at the sun, they look at it and say, eh, just another day. But people who look at life from an eternal perspective, from a spiritual perspective, from a biblical perspective, look at the sun and say, thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. I mean, it's only because of your mercy that, I, that I'm not consumed. Great is thy faithfulness. Some people look at the wind like me and they curse it. Jesus looked at the wind and said, that's a great illustration of how salvation comes from heaven. You can't see it, but you can see the effects of it. And that really is true. With every genuine conversion experience, you don't see what the, the work of the Spirit going on in the heart, but you see the result of the wind of the Spirit in a changed life. Look at verse seven. We okay? All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Under the place from whence the rivers come. Thither they return again. So what's Solomon talking about here? What's he describing? He's describing what is called the hydrologic cycle. Rain comes down. It evaporates. And it comes down again. and evaporates. And it just does that the whole time. Now, somebody may look at that and say, well, how did he know all of that stuff? Well, because remember last week we talked about back earlier in Solomon's life when God came to him and and God said, Solomon, I'll give you whatever you ask for. And and you think about that. Solomon could ask for any number of things. But what did he ask for? Wisdom. God give me wisdom. And I believe that it was God's importation of wisdom that that helped Solomon understand things that perhaps others in his day wouldn't have understood. And we look at these verses that, that, that we're reading, and we look at Solomon's spirit and his attitude and his outlook, and we discover tonight that it's easy to lose sight of God when we're living life without Him in view. In a life lived from a purely human perspective, the world becomes a closed system that is uniform and predictable and unchangeable. In a world where there is no God, thus there are no answers to prayer. And there are no miracles nothing that would indicate that that there may be more to life than the endless monotony that so many seem to experience that's the outcome of a life lived without God and even if there is a God in in in, in this kind of world this is how Solomon's thinking this is how others think and if there is a God and he's not, he's not free to work on our behalf because he's imprisoned. He, he has to function within the laws of nature. It cannot be suspended. But here's the good news tonight. There is a God, amen, and he is not confined To working only within the laws of nature. You know why? Because he's the Lord of nature. And he does answer prayer. Amen. And he does work miracles. And he does work on the behalf of his people. Can I just take a moment to remind you of some of those times that are recorded in the word of God when he did just that? Sunday mornings, we're studying the book of Joshua. We'll soon come to Joshua chapter 10. You you remember what what God did for Joshua in Joshua chapter 10? He he made the sun stand still. Or what about the time when he he moved the sun back as a sign to King Hezekiah in, in Isaiah chapter 38? We know that he... Opened the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14, and in our study of Joshua, we've seen how he opened the, the, the Jordan River in Joshua chapter 5. He turned off the rain for Elijah, first Kings chapter 17, and then he turned it right back on again. He calmed the wind and the waves for the disciples in Mark chapter 4, and in the future, Revelation. In the future, he's going to use the forces of nature to bring terror and judgment to the people on the earth. So yes, life, life can become meaningless, and life can become monotonous. Whenever you and I fail to seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God, And when we fail to set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth, if you and I fall into that trap and we get caught up in in living life under the sun and not looking beyond the sun to the sun, life's going to get monotonous and it's going to become meaningless. And then we're going to start looking for things to satisfy the emptiness inside. And it's not going to be the things of God. The futility of life. We continue on here and we'll wrap it up pretty quick. The futility of life. If we choose to live life in the way that I've described to you tonight. Under the sun. The futility of life will lead to the frustrations of life. Years ago, back in the old days of military training, recruits were required to grab a shovel and they were told to dig a hole for the first half of the day. And then they were told that they were to spend the second half of the day filling that hole up again. And the point of that exercise was to, re- was to find a recruit's frustration threshold. threshold. They wanted to find out how much a recruit could endure before becoming frustrated enough to blow his top at the drill sergeant. The natural outgrowth, as I said, of futility is frustration. Or sadly, sometimes worse than just frustration. I mean, all you got to do is look at Facebook or turn on the news or look at the newspaper. And everything from from shooting sprees in corporate offices to unbelievable acts of road rage on freeways to the heartbreaking stories of moms and dads who shake their children to the point of dying. There is no ignoring the heightened state of frustration that seems to characterize our culture. And why are people so frustrated? Because to them, life is futile. There's no meaning to it. It's, Sun comes up, the sun goes down. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. The wind blows here, the wind blows there, the wind blows here, wind blows there, people are born, people die, people are born, people die. Get up, go to work, come home, eat, watch the news, go to bed, get up, go to work, come home, eat, watch the news, go to bed. It's just blah 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 blah. It life has no meaning. Life is futile. And the result is unbelievable frustration. And again, let me remind you that God's people can fall into that same trap. Look at verse 8. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. As long as a person is looking for fulfillment under the sun, they will never be satisfied. They'll listen, they'll. Ne- Solomon said they'll never be able to see enough, they'll never be able to hear enough, they'll never be able to experience enough to be fulfilled. They will eventually grow weary and they'll get bored. And as I've said a number of times already, they will be forced to look for a diversion, and that's where we have all of the ills of our society today. Here's something interesting. It's this boredom, this feeling of futility and frustration (laughs) that the entire entertainment industry capitalizes on to the tune of billions, billions of dollars a year that people spend purchasing and pursuing entertainment think about that they are capitalizing on people who are living life under the sun and sadly some of those people are people who sit in church even on wednesday nights who have forgotten that there is more to this life than just going to work and coming home and going through that routine. There's more to life than the futility that that you seem to face on a daily basis and the frustration. (laughs) And people in corporate America, they get that to the tune of billions of dollars a year. I want you to listen to this. In his book, Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl wrote, now we can understand Schopenhauer when he said that mankind must, apparent, must apparently was apparently doomed to vacillate eternally between the two extremes of distress and boredom. In actual fact, boredom, is now causing and certainly bringing psychiatrists more problems to solve than distress. And these problems are growing increasingly crucial. We live in a culture where so many people are just numbed by pills why because of exactly what we're talking about tonight they can't cope with the futility of life and they're overwhelmed with frustration and so they just medicate it away are you with me just medicate it away it's crazy the answer to being wearied with life is to respond to the Lord's invitation found in the of Matthew chapter 11. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Listen, pills and alcohol and drugs and illicit sex, they're not the answer. Jesus says, come to me. If you want rest, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll fill that void. I'll I'll satisfy that that longing. I am what you're missing. The only way to fight off boredom is to be fulfilled in this land, be fulfilled in this life. Listen to me. is to accomplish God's purpose. Say, well, preacher, what's God's purpose? It's simply this our purpose in life is to bring Him glory. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, Thou art worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power for Thou hast created all things, that includes us for Thou hast created all things and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Let's hasten to closure. Verse 9. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done, is that which shall be done. There is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof uh, it may be said, See, this is new? It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There's no remembrance of former things. Neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come with those that shall come after. Solomon, of course, is speaking here about the the principles of life. When it comes to these principles, nothing's new. They're the same principles that have governed life from the days of, of creation. And there's nothing man can do to make anything new. Listen to me tonight. If you're here tonight and, and, and this message is resonating with you, this whole futility thing and frustration and emptiness and boredom and, and, and no satisfaction and, and seeking for satisfaction, would you listen to me tonight? The only person that can make anything new is Jesus. That's it. He's the only one. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that he makes us new creatures in Christ. And at that point, listen, we begin to walk in newness of life. And we're given a new song. And and we're we're afforded the privilege of of entering God's presence by a new and living way, Hebrews 10.20. And one day... We will enjoy a new heaven and a new earth when God says, behold, I make all things new. I'm telling you, the answer to the futility and the frustration of life is a right relationship with him who resides above the sun. With him who created the sun. Because there's nothing, there's nothing to be enjoyed or fulfilling under the sun. And it's these new things that bring about this last thought tonight. That bring about the fullness. The fullness of life. As Solomon nears the end of his life, he had forgotten The significance of who had, who had gotten him where he was. And when he did, and we'll read more about it as we go along, his whole world came crashing in around him. When a person begins to leave God out of their life, it won't be long, and things will begin to fall in around them, and upon them. I mean, just think about the the story of the prodigal son. He forsook his father, and it wasn't long that he discovered that satis- the satisfaction that the world brings is just short-lived. It, 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 it's just short-lived. Anyone who has forgotten the significance, and maybe this is you tonight, you have forgotten the significance of a strong relationship with your Heavenly Father. And and you find yourself tonight, as did the prodigal, a miserable, misplaced heir to a lost kingdom. I hope that somehow the Holy Spirit tonight has helped you to come to yourself, as the prodigal did. He finally came to himself and said, what in the world am I doing here? I've got a father at home that loves me. I've got family who love me. I've got a clean place to eat, good food to eat, a a nice place. to. What am I doing here? And maybe the Holy Spirit has just awakened in you tonight this thought. Why am I thinking this way? Why have I allowed myself to fall into this funk? I'm guessing it's because somehow you've fallen into the trap of living life under the sun. Getting up, going to work. Maybe coming to church, going home, watching a little news, going to sleep, getting up again. And what you need to do tonight, just take a moment. Just take a moment. Say, Lord, thanks for for speaking to me tonight. Thanks Thanks for waking me up tonight. Because I'm exactly where Solomon is was I'm a believer man I've gotten into a funk that has just that has just made my life miserable and God it's not your fault it's mine and if you're here tonight and you've been trying to fill an emptiness in your heart with everything but God and it's not worked it's because God is the only thing that can fill that there's not a boyfriend that can feel that. There's not a girlfriend that can feel that. There's not some make-believe person on the internet that can fulfill that. There's not a pill in a bottle that can fulfill that. Or liquid in a bottle that can fulfill that. Or any drug that can fulfill that. There's no amount of money on the face of the earth that can fulfill that. It can only be fulfilled by one person. And that's Jesus Christ. Let's pray.